Hello, Mark and David. Good uh, morning or afternoon. I, I'm lost with time. So anyway, hello. <laughs> Good afternoon, Sean. Good afternoon, everybody. We are here in London, where it is 4 p.m. right now. 10 a.m. Central Time in Illinois. 10 a.m.? Yes. 8 o'clock right, well, on, uh, on the West Coast, and I didn't know that David was going to wear a tie and dress up like this, so I feel <laughs> underdressed. <laughs> well, I'm a college professor. I just try to pretend I'm somebody professional, Mark, you know. <laughs> got to fool some people, right? You betcha. <laughs> yep. So I've, I've given like a brief introduction to you guys already. Could either of you just take a few minutes saying what you do and how you got into the JFK story? Go ahead, David. Go ahead, Mark, you want to start? Go ahead, Mark. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. Okay. Well, uh, as I said, I'm a history professor at all these central college, a community college in Illinois. Uh, I just, it's, I'm sure Mark has a similar story. You, you wake up one day, you know, I, I picked up a book in 1988. It's called Coup d'etat in America. It was by Canfield and Weberman. It wasn't like it was the definitive story on the JFK assassination, but I only had a, maybe a cursory knowledge of it. I read through this book and it became apparent that, you know, everything that we've been told about what happened in Dallas is just doesn't add up that the, the the idea that Oswald was far more than just a lone nut, uh, the impossibility of all these things we've been told. And you, and it just kind of hit me over the head. And I, from that point on, I just tried to consume as, not, as much information as I could uh, over the years, read hundreds of books, uh, beginning the late 1990s, I been, began doing speaking engagements, uh, you know, I, I opened up in the early 2000s. My my dean of instruction was allowed allowed me the the opportunity to uh, teach a class on political assassinations of the 1960s to really uh, bring a lot of information to students. The class has become very popular. Uh, in recent years, I've written articles, many articles about the assassination, and I've held uh, conferences around the country, including one in Dallas this past November. We'll plan on doing some more here in the coming year. And I just gradually, over time, became more engaged in this story, you know, in terms of it's a fascinating story. It's a story of pursuing truth and justice in America. And and it, I don't think it's uh, it's ever lost its relevancy. How about you, Mark? Well, uh, you know, I, I give my age up because uh, I was a, a freshman at Purdue University when JFK was killed. Uh, they told us it was Oswald alone. I bought that just like everybody else did. But uh, everything changed for me because of this woman, uh, Dorothy Kilgallen, whose uh, photograph is on this best-selling book, The Reporter Who Knew Too Much. I didn't know much about Dorothy, except that she was a, a contestant, or excuse me, a, a panelist on a, a very popular uh, U.S. show called What's My Line? They guessed people's uh, unusual occupations, watched by 10 million people on CBS every night in the 50s and 60s. And that's all I knew about her until, you know, I've had a bit of an advantage over anybody looking at the assassination because I actually practiced law with Melvin Belli, uh, the lawyer for Jack Ruby in the 19 uh, in the 1980s. And uh, while working on that book, I found out of his affiliations with the mafia. His main client was a L.A. gangster named Mickey Cohen. And that led me to writing a book uh, about him and then called The Poison Patriarch about the 60 election being fixed. Uh, Joe Kennedy knew they were going to lose, so they went to some of their friends in the mafia. They helped them. They said, listen, uh, you know, uh, you help us. We'll leave you guys alone. Uh, I had an eyewitness who was right there when Joe Kennedy ordered JFK to appoint Bobby Kennedy attorney general. He went after those guys. He deported Marcello, a New Orleans Don. And I then got back to Dorothy. And, and she's so important here because she was syndicated to 200 newspapers across the country with her Voice of Broadway column on in the uh, New York Journal American. Um, had a radio show listened to by a million people a day. And uh, the New York Post called her the most powerful female voice in America. And what I found out was that she was at the Jack Ruby trial. She and JFK were very, very good friends. Uh, he'd been to her home for parties. And, and I'll get into that when we look at the Warren Commission corruption in the new book, Fighting for Justice. But Dorothy was there in the front row. Uh, David wasn't there, you weren't there, Sean. I wasn't there. 
most of the other experts uh, that talk about the assassination weren't there. Dorothy was there. She listened to all the testimony. She heard Ruby, that Ruby said, I will be there when Oswald's going to be transferred and so on and so forth. Since then, she started writing these columns. First one, Oswald, Oswald file must not close. While JFK was out there shouting Oswald alone, Dorothy was going against the grain. Uh, she was the only reporter if 400 to interview a Ruby at trial. We don't know exactly what she uh, she found out because her files were stolen later. Later, but she ended going ended up going to New Orleans, investigating Marcello, and all of that. And so that was what really uh, clicked for me. That was my second book, uh, third book about the assassination. I then found the Ruby trial transcripts and wrote Denial of Justice. I then connected Marilyn, Dorothy, and JFK's deaths, 62, 63, and 65, and collateral damage. And then the new one, Fighting for Justice. Uh, this particular book takes the reader right inside the Warren Commission hearings for the first time. So uh, it, it's been a, a, a bit of an obsession for me, like with David, I think, but all of that is, is dependent on my belief that Dorothy Kilgallen uh, is the most credible reporter to have investigated the JFK assassination. And in many ways, she's become my muse. I've followed her lead in terms of wherever that's gone. Fantastic. So I'd like to add some chronology to this then, just to keep the structure. Sure. Um, concise and interesting for the viewers so they can follow it as it happens. So if we divide it into then the factors that came together to lead to the assassination, the execution of the assassination and the aftermath and the cover-up, could we just first start then with the factors that came together? Who do you guys suggest that the co-conspirators are and what motives did they have? Would you like me to start, Mark? Sure, uh, sure, go ahead. Well, you know, that's a question I kind of get like about five times a week for my students. And it's it's not a question that you can just, I believe, snap off and say, okay, so-and-so did it. You know, it's it's complicated. But, and I think, you know, and we're going to we're gonna talk about this, I'm pretty sure, I, from the transcripts of the stuff I got from you in advance about, you know, there's a growing... Uh, movement here that i think in the united states just in the last few weeks and questioning the cia did the cia do it and and i think I, I honestly believe that's part of the story but not but it may be an oversimplification uh i think a a, a broader narrative about what and why happened what and why it happened in dallas is it is that kennedy in many ways challenged the power structure in america and that power structure consisted of a lot of people inside and outside the United States government who were who were extreme right wing anti-communist coal warriors who saw Kennedy as a traitor, that they had no choice in, in many cases of it was either with the case of the CIA, it was either them or JFK and or at least elements of the CIA. And I think these powerful there was a lot of interconnectivity at these at these at these powerful forces uh, that that were connected with each other uh, that had the ability and power to do it. But I think you have to ask the basic questions: who who lured Kennedy to Dallas? Who had who controlled the scene in Dallas? Who can control the cover up and the evidence afterwards? Who could have manipulated the autopsy? And that, and the CIA does not answer all those questions. I, I, I think it's a, a higher power than that. Not necessarily, you know. I, I I don't like the term deep state. I think it's been co-opted by some people in more recent times. But I, but I think powerful individuals who had an agenda to stop what Kennedy was trying to do to try to bring peace in America, to end the Cold War, and folks that frankly. That controlled the scene in Texas that wanted to see Lyndon Johnson be president, who was going to be the person they wanted to be in the White House. And of course, Johnson and his people who controlled them, who controlled the Warren Commission cover up afterwards, who appointed the Warren Commission, who was who was closest to J. Edgar Hoover, who had control of the evidence. Again, you have to look. Johnson's there. And then Alan Dulles, who's appointed to the to, to the uh, Warren Commission at the very top, who certainly controlled the flow of evidence. I've studied the documents that have been released lately, and there's a lot there about Dulles and what, what he did in that respect. But I think it, it's more, it crosses the line. It's, it's a mistake 
to suggest that the single entity, I think, assassinated the president of the United States. You had all this interconnectivity between powerful people inside and outside the government. They had connections with the mob, the intelligence community, the United States military. I know that sounds like a massive conspiracy, but that doesn't mean it has to be a, a necessarily a large number of people. It's more about those who had the power to do this and their extreme views. And I, I think that's where you need to look. Uh, and as a, as a probability, conspiracy as a 100 percent uh, ability to say, OK, we know exactly who did this. That, that's very difficult to prove. But I think as a historian, I think there's enough there to create a probability of conspiracy. Uh, if you look back to Roman times, the period of imperial crisis where there were 50 assassinations and coup d'etats over a 26-year period, I think it, you, historians could say, okay, we can look at this. This person was assassinated. This person ascended to power. Do we have a good idea who probably was behind that? Yeah, we do. So when history looks back, whatever, 100 years back in in America and what happened to JFK and the result of that, can we look and see some probabilities? I think we can. Uh, And that's maybe that wasn't a simple answer. but I I think that's where I've arrived at. Mark, what's your opinion? Well, I respect everybody's opinion, David, but I, I think you're uh, unfortunately falling into that group who's who's looked down these rabbit holes that don't have anything to do with the assassination. Dorothy Kilgallen, again, I'm telling you right now, she was right there. If you read my books and you read her accounts, you know, she had this right. She looked, you know, I'm a former criminal defense lawyer. I covered the OJ case. I covered the Kobe Bryant case. I covered a lot of cases for the networks. I always look at motive. I look at motive. And one of the things I know is that you can't mess around with the mafia. Uh, You can't double cross the mafia, which is exactly what Joe Kennedy did. I'll just tell you a quick story. When I was with Good Morning America, they sent me to Philadelphia to interview Angelo Bruno, who was a a powerful mafia don there, his attorney. And I talked to the attorney. We were surprised that he talked to me. It was on GMA the next morning. Big, big deal about that. Mark, go back to Philadelphia, see if he'll talk to you again. Well, I did. And I talked to a secretary who came on the line who was crying. And she said, well, Mr. Shaw, I guess you don't know. My boss, when he started his car this morning, it blew up. You can't mess around with those guys. And Joe Doublecross, Marcello, Giancana, all those people. And, and David, I will tell you, I, uh, Dorothy Kilgallen stretched the, their, uh, Marcello's empire, his billion-dollar empire, into Dallas. You only have to go so far as to know that Joe Campisi, who worked for for uh, Marcello in Dallas, was the first visitor to Jack Ruby when he was in, in, at jail. He told him, hey, Melvin Belli's coming in to protect you. Then Belli comes in. Oswald's already been silent. Um, and he tells uh, Ruby, uh, hey, uh, Belli's going to come in and defend you. Belli goes to trial. He won't let him testify. He makes him look crazy. And that closes the door. So what's interesting then, and, and I do agree with David about this, the CIA may have very well had something to do with it. In Fighting for Justice, the new book, I found and was contacted by a legislative assistant named Morris Wolf for one of the Warren Commission members, Senator John Sherman Cooper of Kentucky. And Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Wolf had contacted me. He saw a presentation of mine at the Allen Library near Dallas, and he said, I knew Dorothy Kilgallen. And so I got on the phone with him, and I was just amazed because uh, he started telling me about Senator Cooper. And Senator going with Senator Cooper uh, to the Warren Commission hearings. And Sean, I was writing as fast as I could because he said, you know, I was in the sob with him and we went to the hearings. And here's what here's what the senator told me, among other things. They, the commission members, already know about Jack Ruby's connections to organized crime, but they don't want to touch it. It's more than Oswald, but Hoover and Chief Justice Earl Warren keep pushing the Oswald alone conclusion. Our new president, Lyndon Baines Johnson, wants to cover up and move on. They want to bury the truth under a pile of stones. And then here was the rationale of these seven men who decided to put out a report, Oswald alone, that has lived to this day and is as ludicrous then as it was before. They, the commission members, say this Oswald alone conclusion is good for God and country, 
but there is internal corruption and I don't know why. And what solidified that account, you know, Dorothy Kilgallen looked for little things. Uh, she didn't believe, she interviewed Ruby, she didn't believe some of the little things that he told her about having just happened to be uh, at the Dallas basement when Oswald was shot. Uh, she said, you know, I used to go to parties at Senator Cooper's home in Georgetown. And you know, Mr. Shaw, I sat right next to Dorothy Kilgallen and I gulped because what are the chances of something like that? You know, I didn't know what the word crowdsourcing meant, Sean, uh, a few weeks ago until on a, during a presentation, somebody mentioned, I throw all this stuff out. There's seven and a half to eight million views of my presentations on the, on the, on the internet, on YouTube and all of that. And people get in touch with me like Morris Wolf. And he said, you know, uh, Mr. Shaw, uh, Dorothy was right there. She was a bright light bulb. And she kept interrogating me during the dinner, asking me what Senator Cooper was doing at the commission and all of that. And, and he, she, he said, yeah, she told me about the corruption. And she's the one who gave me the Warren Commission Ruby testimony. So all of that fit together to me. Now, all of this malarkey lately about the CIA you know, recruiting Jack Ruby and recruiting Lee Harvey Oswald. I don't know if that's true or not. It's never really been proven about Ruby. But all I know is that Dorothy used common sense as I've tried to do. And, and she had, had gone ahead and used that thread. 60 election, uh, Marcelo deported. Marcelo needs to kill uh, JFK, but if he does that, the government will come after him with everything you know, they have. So you kill, J orchestrate JFK's death so Bobby Kennedy will be powerless. That's exactly what happened. Never went after those guys. Then Bell Eyes brought in and Ruby and all of that together and closed up it all. So, you know, I go down that road, not saying that, that David's wrong about anything he's saying. It, it does make an awful lot of sense. One more thing. In the, I take the reader right in the Warren Commission hearings and the bad guy, David, is Alan Dulles. There, I put the audio tapes in my in my book. I totally agree with that. Just one more. I, I, in my in, in the book, I put in the audio tapes that you can you can find the transcriptions of J of uh, J Edgar Hoover and uh, and uh, and LBJ picking the members of the commission, and they picked only people that they thought would go along with the Oswald alone uh, conclusion. And one of them was Alice Alan Dulles, and the reason he was brought in was so that he would protect uh, the, the, uh, the investigation of the, the CIA. And I have documents in the book that show that Senator Cooper uh, kept saying, well, uh, wait a minute, Earl Warren and, and LBJ know about the CIA, but they're not doing anything about it. And I'm gonna resign. I have his letter of resignation that he was going to send and all of that. So uh, while I believe that Dorothy was right, really focusing in on Ruby, not Oswald, but also, uh, that that uh, Alan Dulles now needs to really be focused in on because he was the one that really kept us some, from knowing in the Warren Commission documents, and I've looked at every single one of them, from, from really uh, knowledge of, of what the CIA's involvement was in the JFK assassination. Can, can I respond to that? Uh, Go for it. All right. And, and I, I agree, Mark, in terms of mafia involvement, but I, but I also, and, and obviously Mark Shello, but I also think, you, again, it's almost like, where's the genesis of this? And I think that's where we might have some disagreement. I mean, uh, the, the, there's interconnectivity there, though. I mean, with Marcello was tight with Clint Murkison, the most powerful oil right-wing fanatic in Dallas. He was connected with, with uh, Hoover. They met, they met in the, uh, the, uh, the Hotel Del Charo, which I believe uh, Murkison owned in California. They, these people were interconnected. Now, you mentioned Dulles, uh, and, and I would say this, you know, the mob, I can't see the mob as the central driver in terms of, you know, certainly there as a part of this picture, but I, I can't see the mob's ability to control the cover-up, again, the manipulation of the autopsy, the, the ability at the highest levels to control the evidence. I think you need I think you need a, a, a power above them. Now that's where Mark and I might disagree, but I will say this: here's, a, in terms of some of the documents I've looked at, uh, there's a critical relationship between uh, William Harvey of the CIA and Johnny Roselli, uh, and and their, their, that connection is critical. I've, there's a lot of documents about that. What was going on between Roselli as a liaison between the mob and Harvey, who was 
I think one of the central, if you want to call them mechanics or players and all this in, in, operationally, uh, you have to look at that. You mentioned Alan Dulles. Uh, again, I've, I've spent time on some of the new documents. I know we want to try to look into some of that relevancy too. Uh, there's a, the, one of the most recently documents that came out uh, is, is, a is a classified memo in 1964 sent to then uh, from Richard Helms to then private citizen Alan Dulles before the Warren Commission came out about a book by, an early, I believe, an early British author named Buchanan pointing out that, hey, these people are writing these books. We must go after them. Why do why does Helms feel necessary to send to a private citizen then Alan Dulles about pushing back on some of the early authors who were beginning to question the potential mm -hmm. results of the Warren Commission? It showed that Dulles was in control of the cover-up from the get-go. And, and, and I, these are just some things. But again, I look for interconnectivity. And, and you know, we, we can argue about genesis, if you want to call it that, but the, the and I and I, I I've got your book by the way, Mark, on, and I actually talk about the Kilgallen story a little bit in my classes. She certainly yeah. was an important part of this story, and tragically yeah. how she died, obviously under yeah. suspicious circumstances. It certainly is an important story. She had access to Ruby, and yes, Ruby is at the center of these things. Good Ruby, for you. Thank you. Bless you. And one of the most important documents that came out in the last four or five years is associated with Jack Ruby, uh, an FBI informant suggested on the day of the assassination that Ruby said, let's go down and, and I'm going to go down and watch the fireworks today on the morning of the assassination. Jack Ruby had foreknowledge of the assassination. He's, he's a part of this story. When we wake up in the morning, we get out of bed, and we start our day with Koro Snacks. Koro is a healthy snacks brand focusing on bringing additive-free natural ingredients to their customers with fair prices in bulk packaging. They have everything from nut butters to free from baking ingredients to cooking essentials and, of course, the snacks. So you know, like we're on the road and we stop at the petrol station and get all those snacks masquerading as healthy they got sugar, preservatives, additives, colouring. Coral doesn't have any of that stuff. And the energy balls are delicious. Oh, they're my favourite, the salted pistachio. Ooh. Um, can't wait to have this this morning. Let's see what this one tastes like. Cheers. Cheers. Mmm. <laughs> mmm. How can something taste that good without sugar, preservatives, additives, and colorings? Mm. No idea. Mmm. <laughs> oh, it really does taste good. Mm. <laughs> so what makes Coro special in comparison to others? Their bulk packaging allow them to offer their customers high quality products at a fair price. For a 5% discount on Coro's products, use the code TRUECRIME with no space in between true and crime. The link to Coro's online shop is in the description box on YouTube. Thanks for supporting our sponsor. Well, they were scared to death of Dorothy Kilgallen. Uh, in the audio tapes, you'll hear them talk about, oh my gosh, what's the dirty columnist going to do now? And all that. And you know, you can you can see, by the way, on the cover of the book, Alan Dulles, or excuse me, Don, John Sherman Cooper, everybody else is standing here and kind of showing, you know, they're no problem with showing their faces. Alan, or, uh, John Sherman Cooper is over here hiding. Uh, he's next to Alan Dulles over here, and he's hiding behind another member. He was so embarrassed with what they were doing. And John Sherman Cooper, the senator, was a very, very close friend of, of JFK. Uh, you know, this whole thing with secrecy, you know, if we can, Sean, just talk a little bit about these documents that have been uh, released uh, last week or so or whatever. I've gone through most of all of them using a search engine and everything. David probably has as well. Uh, it's amazing. There, there's no, there's, there's 12 mentions of Ruby. There's a, zillion, a zillions of, of Oswald. There's none of LBJ. There's none of Alan Dulles. There's none of any of these guys, Earl Warren. There's nothing in there. Now there's 4,000 documents that weren't released. And, and they basically said some would be unheld under, uh, withheld under court seal or grand jury secrecy or whatever. 
what is still being hidden after 60 years? And it doesn't help researchers and historians like, uh, like David and I when we don't get all the facts and the American people don't get all the facts. Because uh, for whatever reason, the, the, the documents that we've been given over the years uh, still don't provide a narrative to knowing exactly what happened uh, back then. And, and I do want to mention one more thing. Uh, you mentioned, the, 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 I think, a guest or something was going to talk about, or no, your book called uh, um, About the Predators. Well, you know, you need to add the, the two Kennedy guys, uh, Joe, uh, uh, JFK and Bobby, to that list. In the new book, I have a, I quote a book called The Kennedy Neurosis, and it talks about J uh, Joe Kennedy having told the, the kids, you know, uh, wait, the, the wives are really uh, necessary for two reasons. One is to have children, and the other two is to campaign when you're running for office. I mean, they were womanizers to the X degree, but also, what did they do when the Warren Commission report, Warren Commission was convened? They used Katzenbach, Nicholas Katzenbach, the assistant attorney general, to write letters to the Warren Commission members. And, and this, is, this is proven in my book, Fighting for Justice. Don't look into anything except the, uh, the Oswald alone uh, you know, conclusion. Well, why did they do that? Because Joe didn't want them to be looking into the 1960 election fix. And Bobby Kennedy didn't want them to look into anything he was doing, including his complicity, as I have proven in Collateral Damage, my other book in Fighting for Justice, his involvement in the Marilyn Monroe uh, uh, death. So everybody on that commission had something to lose, but LBJ, he did just like David's right, they didn't want him to go back and they didn't want the commission to go back and look into his oil dealings and everything else like that. You know, Earl Warren had some uh, skeletons in his closet. But the main one was J. Edgar Hoover. He didn't want them, you know, in those audio tapes. Well, we can't let other investigations happen, not in Congress, not in Dallas, anything else like that. And so they only pick people that are going to keep them on that road to that Oswald alone conclusion, which I believe is the most alarming example of government corruption in history. They, they just basically deliberately lied to the world about the truth. As, as they could have discovered about the JFK assassination. I'm just going to well, ask the viewers a quick question. One, one, one second, David. So wherever you are watching this, YouTube, Facebook, um, you know, obviously there was a number of interests that wanted to get Kennedy out of the way. So wherever you are in the world watching this, put a one if you think the CIA played a more important role. Put a two if you think the mafia played a more important role than the CIA. Put that in the chat so we can see what the viewers think. Well, let me just put this to both of you guys, because we interviewed Michael Francis, and his dad gave him a perspective on it, about the mafia role. And from my own research as well, I found that there's a world where the CIA and the mafia coexist, where they contract mafia guys, and then the chain of causation ends with the mafia instead of it being traced back to the CIA. Do you think something like that could have been at play? Oh, definitely. I, again, that goes right back to the uh, what I just mentioned earlier with the Roselli-Harvey uh, relationship. And, of course, uh, the recruitment of, of Roselli uh, by Mayhew initially. I, I've seen in the declassified documents of the CIA actually admitting, uh, you know, they were going to recruit uh, – these individuals for gangster type actions that's a that's a quote excuse me my phone went off uh, and, and that's a quote coming right out of the documents uh about recruiting the mob for gangster type actions and of course they were directed at castro and then the castro plots it's well known uh and solicitation of the mob in that respect so are you all right? You're all right to turn that off so it doesn't keep going. Take, let me take, just take break, the time. Let me just I'll, I'll in just on... announce the results. Mark, you want to the, join uh, in here? That's uh, yeah. actually we've a chance. We've got mostly ones um, in the votes from the viewers, which means they believe that the CIA played a bigger role in the mafia. Well, they're just dead wrong, okay, Sean? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, let, let me point out something because I don't want to forget this. I don't want to forget this. Uh, in the documents that I found about 
Senator John Sherman Cooper. And, and people, again, can read about him and fighting for justice and what he said and everything. But the most important thing in there, and David, I want your reaction on this. At one point, he and uh, uh, Senator Richard Russell of Georgia, as they got down to when they were going to uh, finalize the report, demanded a dissent exactly. or, or minority report. And it basically was saying that they did not believe in the so-called silver, silver bullet theory that one man was involved and all of that. And they got a guarantee from LBJ and J. Edgar Hoover that that would be in the final report. And obviously, as we know, it wasn't. Think about how history would have changed if that minority report, you know, some deviation from Oswald alone with the silver bullet theory and so on and so forth. If that dissent would have been in there, the, the discussion over the years would have been completely different. People wouldn't, you know, would have been able to stop it. My books are stop and think. They would have been able to stop and think about, wait a minute, that dissent makes a lot of difference here. We know to need to go this way or that way. But as I'm sure David will agree, they couldn't put that dissent in there, Hoover and LBJ. They couldn't let people go in any other direction but Oswald along. Oswald alone. And that's why we have that big lie uh, to today. Well, uh, and let's point out, you not just those two, but Hale Boggs. Boggs was, Boggs was not in agreement, a third commissioner with, with the conclusions either. I mean, and, and it's easy to understand why. I mean, fundamentally, who can, who can with, a, although some people try, who can rationally with their mind, if they actually take any kind of real close look at the single bullet theory can conclude anything but the impossibility of it. And without the 60 years down the road, without the single bullet theory, it's still the linchpin of any Oswald alone scenario. You can't have a lone nut without the single bullet theory. And as I said, it only takes a few minutes of anybody with a rational mind that looks at that evidence can say, this does, this is improbable, somewhere between improbable and impossible that it could have happened. And then, then you have to look elsewhere. But the war but back then, David, back then, you know, back then in the 60s, we believed everything. Exactly. We believed that Marilyn Monroe committed suicide. Well, she didn't. I mean, it didn't even close to it. We believe that Dorothy Kilgallen overdosed on drugs. It didn't happen. JFK and all of that. The relevancy, yeah. in my opinion today, and people ask me all this time, why do we care about the JFK assassination? Because what happened, and I think you'll agree with this, both of you, the right, we didn't question anything back then. People didn't question those things. They believed the, the you know, everything that, that they believed the media, they believed the, the Warren Commission, they believed all of that. Nobody asked the question. So I say to people today, don't take anything at, at face value. Now, what I say, David or Sean or any, do your own research. Don't go to Wikipedia, for God's sakes, because it's been a mess in terms of everybody going in there, putting in what they want. Ask questions about your, your politicians, about the elections, everything else that way, because that didn't happen. And it didn't happen with the other deaths that David mentioned with, uh, you know, with Bobby Kennedy in 68 and Malcolm X and all of that. It, those, those cases just came and went out the window. And nobody really asked the, the right questions. And I hope people will learn from what happened back then and ask the right questions today. Guys, well, I, where, I did the, like where did the bullets? Where did the bullets come from? David. Well, I, you know, <laughs> I, the question might be better. Where did the bullets come from? I, I feel like, you know, a lot. I am not the the premier ballistics expert guy. I'm more of a witness and. And, and narrative guy, but I, I think it's a, pretty safe to say that there were multiple shooters in Dealey Plaza. There's evidence, obviously, from the grassy knoll that some can make a case from the storm drain from below, from the and some have evidence of a, shots from the other side of the street and behind. So it'll it only and it makes sense as I as I always tell my class, if you're going to kill the president, you better get kill the president. You better not send one one guy or one team out there. I think it was a it was a professional military hit with multiple shooters from multiple directions. They were going to make sure that JFK did not walk out of that Dealey Plaza alive. And, and that's that's the rational conclusion. And I've talked to 
people who are gun experts, who are snipers, sharpshooters, and, and you get the same thing. And, and also you have to know there's a, was a small, finite group of professional shooters in the world that could have pulled those shots off or would have been the people you would have selected. Uh, there, there, there's not a lot of, there were not a lot of them around in those days, but they're well, not, 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 not to belittle your question, but I, I really believe, you know, your, your producer actually knows I can barely handle email. So I'm not a person that gives any opinion about how many bullets or whatever, anything. But I think what has happened is that so much attention has been looked at, you know, has been focused on all that, that people don't see the big picture. You know, I, I don't know exactly what happened in Daily Plaza. All I know is that Dorothy Kilgallen, when she went to uh, Dallas, and I have a photograph in Fighting for Justice of her in the courtroom and in Dealey Plaza, she interviewed um, Jerry, Jesse, uh, Jesse Curry, the uh, Dallas police chief. And he told her that when he heard the shots, where did he send his officers? Not to the book depository, not to the grassy knoll, to the overpass. And that would have been a, a perfect place for what David's talking about, experts who, who knew how to, to handle a rifle and could shoot from there because, uh, you know, Bobby Kennedy is the one that talked JFK into leaving the bubble off the top of the limousine. That's, that's something that people don't know. Well, he was just a sitting duck. If you go to Dealey Plaza, you know there's only one way in and one way out. I mean, he was just a sitting duck. And so if you look closely, I think Jesse Curry's, uh, what he told Dorothy Kilgallen makes a lot of sense, that those shots could have easily come from the overpass. What about the autopsy then? How was that manipulated? Well, I can speak to that just because uh, I, I'm sure David knows. I think the most uh, reliable source there is, uh, is uh, Dr. Cyril Wecht, who is as acclaimed a forensic scientist as we have had in history. I've interviewed him for all of my books. He gave me a nice endorsement for fighting for justice and all that. He told me the, the autopsy, it, it, it was like, should anything about the autopsy or the Warren Commission should be in the fiction area of any library or bookstore, okay? <laughs> because it doesn't make any sense. But look at, look at what Hoover did. Immediately when they take the body to Parkland, he won't let anybody look at it at all. The autopsy should have been done in Dallas. That's where the president dies. But what does he do? He brushes... Uh, poor Jackie aside, and they take it to Washington, D.C., and as uh, Cyril Wecht uh, told me, uh, these were three, I believe they were Navy, um, you know, forensics uh, people who, who did the autopsy, and nobody knows exactly what they did and what they didn't do, and all at once, you know, uh, we're, we're on to the uh, burial of JFK without ever having uh, an adequate, uh, you know, adequate autopsy. I will mention this, in all of the cases I ever tried as a criminal defense lawyer, and I think it's true in the deaths of Marilyn Monroe and JFK and Dorothy, if you want to cover up a murder, falsify the autopsy. That's exactly. all you have to do. Yeah. And that's where they started with this. Hoover was smart. He, you know, Hoover had an awful lot to lose because he's shouting Oswald alone, Oswald alone. He can't be, he can't be um, you know, criticized for that because remember, if it's a lone nut, the FBI can't be held responsible. And I don't use the C word. If there was a plot to kill the president, then the FBI can be held responsible from the get-go. Hoover was going to cover this up, and he's gotten it away. He, he got away with it uh, from that time on all the way through the Warren Commission and beyond. Well, I've, I think the one place you can turn when we talk about the autopsy is the uh, in the late 1990s, Doug Horn was an, a... a uh, investigator of the United States government uh, assigned by the Assassinations Review Board who actually d deposed many of the autopsy doctors. And, okay. and he found some explosive things associated with the autopsy that are just impossible to ignore. Primarily, most of the people who saw JFK's wounds uh, at both Parkland and in Bethesda saw that the fact that the back of Kennedy's head was blown out. There was a fist-sized hole in the back of JFK's head. Yet the official autopsy photograph shows that same back of his head intact. When some of the people associated with that were brought in later on, the late 1990s, they they basically said, that's not the, that's not the wounds I saw, that this, this photograph had been tampered with. So it's pretty clear that, that the autopsy 
messed with the direction of the shots as, as simply as I can put it. It's, it is obviously more complicated, but yes, I agree that with uh, with Mark, the uh, the autopsy was manipulated in some form or fashion, and that's and that speaks to the level of power necessary. People don't just go out and manipulate wounds of the president of the United States. That's committing treason. You, how much cover do you have to have? If you're a doctor, whomever did this, how much cover in terms of power did you have to have if you were willing to commit to these things and, and basically commit treason when that happened? Excellent. Excellent. All right, let's go over to the cover-up then. We've got about 20 minutes left. And if any of the viewers have got any questions for Mark or David, please put them in the chat. Well, as far as cover-ups go... Uh... The, the king of that was Joe Kennedy, all right? He, he, he could cover up anything and, you know, Chappaquiddick, he could cover up anything with Bobby and Marilyn Monroe. I've got all that in, in my books in terms of Bobby being there on the day that Marilyn was gonna uh, go to the media about matters of national security that, uh, that Bobby and JFK had told her about. Uh, they're, gonna, they're gonna assassinate uh, Castro, all of that. He covered all of that up. Uh, when, when JFK was killed, uh, he knew what happened, in my opinion. He knew that his uh, appointing Bobby Kennedy attorney general and going after Marcelo and the mafia guys, you couldn't do that. If you if you want to see an interesting photograph, go look at when Ted Kennedy is showing Joe Kennedy uh, a copy of the New York Times with the headline JFK assassination, assassinated. And Joe, Joe Kennedy just goes like that. I mean, he knew. He knew what had happened. Bobby Kennedy Jr. had said that his father uh, knew it was uh, the, the guy from New Orleans. Uh, I thought they would get one of us, but I thought it would be me. But Joe Kennedy was involved with all of that. So if you take uh, people with power like Joe Kennedy and people with extreme power like J. Edgar Hoover, and you add to that perhaps, and I'll, I'll admit this, you add somebody like Alan Dulles, you know, JFK had fired uh, Alan Dulles as, as CIA director, and then they put him on the Warren Commission. David's right. This this power that was involved here, boy, they were just determined to cover up anything that would lead the American people in the world away from that Oswald alone verdict. David, well, you know, I, I don't. I'm not as big an advocate as Joe Kennedy being in the middle of everything as Mark is, but I'll, I'll, you know, we'll we'll have some agree to disagree on some of that stuff, but. I mean, that, that, that's primarily his focus. It's not mine. I, I, but I feel like, again, when we talk about talk about a, a cover-up and its existence, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I, I, let me just point to some of the recent documents that have come out, because that's been my focus, is that, you know, a, 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 there's no doubt within the circles of power, there was a, 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 a circulating narrative of, uh, uh, Mark mentioned uh, Katzenball, who was, you know, obviously became Johnson's guy after the death of JFK. Uh, we've long known as a statement that the public must be satisfied that Oswald acted alone. But but that it didn't stop there. J. Edgar Hoover, in one of the new documents, said, is suggesting the same thing within, you know, a, a, within hours or days of the assassination. Uh, Bill Moyers, one of Johnson's AIDS is circulating the same narrative. It's almost like it's group speak right away. But then let's let's go to a 1993 document, uh, which may be one of the most important documents ever to come out on the JFK assassination, uh, which basically is a conversation between Lyndon Johnson and J. Edgar Hoover. And it's it's at a point in time after the assassination, but they have they have Lee Oswald in custody. He's still alive. Hoover calls Johnson and says, look, the guy we have in, in custody now is not the same guy on tapes and conversations in Mexico City in September of 63. So at the very same time, that should have been, if this was a legitimate investigation, that should have exploded everything. Oswald's not just a lone nut. He's in Mexico City. He's being or, or he's being impersonated by somebody in Mexico City and one of the spy capitals of the world. What's going on here? Who's behind this guy? And yet at the same time where they had this information that Oswald was being impersonated in Mexico City, they're releasing this this cover all statement that Oswald must be 
public must be satisfied that Oswald acted alone. The government cover-up was engaged almost immediately by Hoover and Johnson. Uh, I, I think that's I think that's important to note. And I'd like to mention one more quick thing too, because this has come out recently about we talked about theories. In the past year, the CIA, an ex-Cold Warrior named R. James Woolsey, uh, released a book last year suggesting that Russia did it. You know, you still got the Russia did it people running around. Uh, I found a document in, in the declassified documents from an inside source that the United States government had inside the Kremlin. The source was codenamed Shamrock. In the middle of the 1960s, Shamrock was sending information back that the Russians actually mourned the death of Kennedy. Yeah, right. that they, it was somebody that they, they, they could work with, that they, they were deeply in grieving the fact that JFK had been shot. They suggested the military industrial complex, the ultra right wing, Johnson. They had a lot of, they had a lot of, speaking, speaking of the KGB, they had a lot of uh, individuals they suspected inside the United States. And let's keep in mind, that's not Russian propaganda. That was not released to the public. That's what right. Russians on the inside felt, that they admired Kennedy. There's no way the Russians would risk assassinating. It doesn't pass the rational test to me. Would have assassinated Kennedy at the time they were moving towards rapprochement and peace. Uh, you know, you know the, the JFK's uh, uh, speech at uh, at American University in 1963, reaching out to the Russians. No, that doesn't add up. It's it's more disinformation from the CIA. Well, I, I have that document too, David. And and boy, you've led right into something that I think is critical here. You know, I'm like you. I'm like you. I like I I'm, I, I make sure when I have uh, hearsay evidence, just as I did in the courtroom when I tried criminal cases, mostly all murder cases. Um, you you want to you're going to have to say to a judge, I can confirm what was said here so that that can be admitted. So what I did with John Sherman Cooper, the senator that I said took us right inside the Warren Commission hearings is go see his oral histories. One is at the University of Kentucky, one's at the University of Georgia. And I found, and I will send this to you, David, a Cooper memo, uh, 5th of December, 1963. And it fits into right what you were talking about with that conversation between LBJ and Hoover. He writes, this is a United States uh, memorandum. Warren, Chief Justice Warren asked about the CIA. Did they have anything? When I, was, when I told him of Mexico and Nicaragua, he mentioned five people as McCone had told me. He knew all I did and more about the CIA. A strange thing is happening. Warren and Katzenbach know all about FBI and, the, and, and CIA and they are apparently in others planning to show Oswald only one who should even be considered. This to me is an untenable position. I must insist on outside counsel. And that's when he wrote this letter to LBJ offering to resign. He was so disgusted. You know, Morris Wolf told me, and, and David probably knows this, um, when he went to the hearings with the senator, he sat in the back of the hearing room waiting for him. And Morris said, you know what I was amazed at uh, was there weren't any members there listening to the hearings. It was all staff members. And why did they do that? Because they could control the staff members. They couldn't control uh, some of the uh, some of the members that they'd appointed to the commission. And yeah, so they, you can just see how they were they were able to manipulate all of this. But this document is so damaging. Uh, they they know about the CIA and the FBI. Uh, Warren did and all of that, and they just closed it down. Sean, it's despicable conduct, in my opinion. Now, Dulles was the one guy who, and I think Mark will agree, was the one guy who was there a lot at those meetings, controlling everything. Sure. Many other, then many of the others obviously were seldom around. Uh, I'd like to, in, in the, in the, in the, just the remaining few minutes, I, I, and, and again, Mark and I might have some agreement or disagreement on that, but I think it's important to talk about who Oswald was. Cause I, you know, he's, he's at the center of this as well. I mean, and I, to me, over the years, I, I feel like the, from a historical perspective, I think he will go down and was one of the most misinterpreted individuals in history. I, I believe 
and that the evidence shows that Oswald was a manipulated low-level intelligence operative passed around by different agencies. He was a, clearly an FBI informant. He made, kept making contacts with the FBI. I think, I think it is most likely that, that Lee Harvey Oswald believed he was infiltrating a plot in Dallas, that that was his mission, not knowing that, well, he became the plot in essence. He became the center of it. He became the patsy. Uh, I think it's why I believe he was an informant. One of the reasons I believe he's an informant, uh, uh, a, a, an F, uh, a, a, the first black secret service agent named Abraham Bolden, who JFK brought into us to, to, as, as part of his team, as who is still alive has pointed out that, uh, that, of course, there were other plots against JFK, a, a plot that was foiled in Chicago prior to the assassination in Dallas. And Bolden has gone on record that an informant, quote-unquote, an informant named Lee warned us about what was going on in Chicago. I believe Lee Harvey Oswald was a man who was actually trying to stop these plots, and he then he becomes the villain. Uh, it's a it's really a, a tragic case in American history. And, and now, now Mark may have a different view of that. He may have, of course, Oswald had, had the connections with the mob and I, and I, he may have a different point of view as, as where Oswald stands on that. Everybody's got a different perspective. Well, of course I do. I can't agree with you on everything. Okay. Come on. Okay. <laughs> and I, I think, I think uh, Dorothy Kilgallen had it right. You know, Oswald's such a confusing figure. And yes, so she, focused, she focused on Ruby. I, I'm afraid that we give Oswald much more intelligence than that isn't appropriate. But but interesting, Sean, to me is that David hit on it. You know, one of the most honest, uh, most truthful statements about the JFK assassination may be that photo of Lee Harvey Oswald saying, I am a patsy. I am a patsy. Uh, you know, yeah. and, and it, 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 you know, everybody looked at it like, oh, yeah, well, sure, you know, and you're just saying that and everything. But you know, it's it's it, to me, I, uh, Oswald again. Dorothy felt like it, it was Jack Ruby. For people that don't know, uh, she took her uh, JFK assassination documents back to New York City. I'm going to crack the case wide open. If the wrong people knew what I know about the JFK assassination, it would cost me my life. I'm afraid for my wife and family. I'm buying a gun. And about two weeks later, she was found dead of an alleged overdose in a bedroom she never slept in uh, under very mysterious circumstances. No, uh, no uh, uh, investigation at all. No, the autopsy was flawed and all of that. She was writing a book for Random House. And uh, that book was going to be a tell-all book about the assassination. And they couldn't let her write that book, that's for sure. She knew about the corruption with the Warren Commission. She talked to Ruby. She had it all. And so, unfortunately, um, this, this true patriot, in my opinion, who was really trying to find the truth, uh, was silenced because they you know, that was that was another loose end that couldn't uh, that they couldn't handle. So uh, Dorothy Kilgallen, again, in my opinion, is a real hero with regard to this. And, and you know, the answer to this question before I before I ask it, you know, she wrote all these columns about the JFK assassination. You can see them in Fighting for Justice. You can see them in the other book. I'll bet you uh, if I ask you this question, you'll know the answer before uh, you, you, you answer. And that is, uh, was Dorothy Kilgallen interviewed by the Warren Commission? No, absolutely not. They wouldn't have let her get within a million miles of the commission because, again, she's going this way with, uh, you know, a plot to kill the president and they're going to the Oswald alone situation. So unfortunately, uh, and then, of course, on, on the day she died, on the morning she died, uh, J. Edgar Hoover sent agents or those portraying to be agents to her apartment and and in uh, a raid and took all of her JFK assassination documents, which I've tried to find everywhere that I possibly can. They're still missing. I'm hoping that one day uh, we'll find those. But Hoover decided that was something he had to do as well. Those documents could never be seen that, that Kilgallen had had uh, were a result of her investigation. Hey, uh, can I, Sean? I know we've just got a couple minutes left, and I and I know one of the the important things that you brought up was, you know, how how the media treated this. I, I really like to talk about that, that, the kind of a quick narrative of how the media in the United States has treated this story for the past 60 years. 
and where we're at right now. And, yeah. and I think it's extremely important. I'd like to just spend a couple minutes on that if I could. And, and yeah, go I, for it. I mean, uh, and I, I think you have to look at the very beginning. I think, first of all, the media dropped the ball initially. They bought hook, line, and sinker, the whole or commission version. Except for Dorothy. Except for Dorothy. Yeah, except for Dorothy. Okay. And and there might have been and then there might have then we have to look at the fact that the CIA's actions that helped do that. I mean, what Mark's talking about, how they were aggressively going after Dorothy Kilgallen, uh, Mark Lane, uh, the Buchanan wrote the early book on the JF. Joaquin, I've, I've seen documents on these people who are all viciously attacked, or even more so in the case of possibly Kilgallen. Uh, and then, of course, you had uh, Mockingbird, which was the, basically the, the, by the 1950s and 60s into the 1970s, the CIA established hundreds of media assets who were writing basically the company line for the, for the, across the country. They had compromised the United States media. And they were writing friendly stories, attacking uh, the, the term conspiracy buff came directly from the from the uh, CIA and was mm-hmm. a, a, advanced as, as a credo in the media. And then I think over time, that just became the tradition. Then we've had the issue about, well, we don't want to be considered to be conspiracy theorists. And so I think the media has tended to stay away from that as well. But I think one positive that's come out lately is that uh, just in the last, just this whole last release, I think is important. I've seen a sea change uh, across the media somewhat. Now, of course, they're looking and focusing at the CIA, and that, and, and of course, Mark, I think that's an oversimplification, and Mark kind of thinks that's the wrong direction to look. But at least they're looking somewhere, and mm-hmm. and. Uh, there for the first time, and it's, and it's across the spectrum. Of course, Tucker Carlson on a conservative media line actually brought up a story, and he said, said he talked to a CIA guy who says the CIA may have did it, and why the document? And, but he, you can go on the left and look at MSNBC. They've been running programs. They've been open to the idea of conspiracy. It's all over Twitter. Uh, you know, for the first time, people are, are not just dismissing the JFK story as a, as a conspiracy fringe anymore. I think from a positive and the longer they keep withholding these documents, I think the momentum's going in that direction in a positive way for us to bring more attention to this story that needs to be told the correct way. And that, David, one more thing, Sean. Okay. David, let's make sure we praise people like Sean. Who, who, you know, permit us to come on a program like this and talk about these issues and everything. So bless you, Sean, for for doing this, because so many people, you know, wouldn't want David and I on their program no matter what. So thank you for letting us speak out about this. Appreciate your time. Huge huge thank you for both of you guys this time. And just let me ask the viewers, put a one in the chat if you'd like to see Mark and David back. Put a two in the chat if you don't ever want to see him again. So, Mark and David, could you please just tell the viewers where they can find you, support you, and get your books and stuff? David. Go ahead, Mark. You can start off, man. All right. Well, my uh, my uh, website is markshawbooks.com. All the books up there, including the new one, Fighting for Justice. My email address is mshawin at yahoo.com, and I answer every single email I get. So many tips for my uh, my books and my research come from that. And so please get in touch with me and I will get back to you. All right. Uh, mine's very easy. Uh, JFK historical group. Uh, it's a, it's a, our website where we promote many of the conferences I have. And I would very much, uh, we were probably going to have one in April in Memphis, Tennessee. We bring some of the top researchers around the country. We also have one every in every November in Dallas. We always do those on Zoom. We would love to have. We've had many people from Europe join in on us on Zoom uh, for our conferences. Uh, many of my, my articles that I have written are also on my website at the JFK Historical Group, and I invite everyone to visit that. And, again, I really appreciate the time. Mark, it was, it's fun going back and forth with you, man. I enjoyed it. And, and I've read some of your book. It's sitting over on my shelf to my right. I may just go back and look at it some more after we're done. Well, yeah, get busy, okay? Get busy. Come on. 
Kilgallen is a fascinating character. She really yeah. is. And just to let you know, the viewers have voted almost 100% that they want you guys to come back on the show. So Yay! Christmas, appreciate it. Thank you. Man, really, Thank I you had very fun. much, Mark and David. Thank John, you. I appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks.